So like I said, we are going to go ahead and, and continue on to the book of 1 Corinthians. We have two left. We have today, which is part 28, and then we have next week, which is obviously part 29, because uh, I'm good at the maths. And, uh, and that'll be the last one. We've finally gotten all the way through the book. For, that's seven months we've been going through this. So it's, it's been a blessing to everybody. I hope it has. I know we're going through it pretty slow, but we want to cover everything. We want to deal with everything. And truthfully, the book of 1 Corinthians has got some tough stuff in it, right? So I, hopefully I was able to help you um, work your way through that and understand what's going on. But as we continue today, last week we saw that uh, Paul was continuing to argue for the resurrection of the dead. So you remember the backstory on that is, is that some people in the Corinthian church were saying, no, there's no resurrection of the dead. And Paul's like, well, if there's not, then even Jesus wasn't raised. And if Jesus wasn't raised, Jesus wasn't raised, then we're all in a mess. Because if Jesus wasn't raised, then we're not saved and we're the most to be pitied and, and our hope is in nothing. So Paul began to make a, a compelling case for, for the resurrection. As a matter of fact, he starts it with this line last week. He says, but in fact, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He doesn't even leave room for doubt. It's a fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And I would argue that even historically, that, that uh, if you look through the history books, through secular and non-secular alike, that is a historic fact. It is not debunked or disputed anywhere. Matter of fact, you don't even see it in the, the, the ancient writings around the time anybody saying it didn't happen. They, they, they'll, they'll talk about Jesus and who he was, but there's the idea that he rose from the dead, that was pretty much accepted back then. And if it wasn't, they, all they had to do to stop Christianity in its tracks was, was produce Jesus' body. That's all they had to do. But obviously we know that that didn't happen and because the reality is, is Jesus lived, he did die, and he did rise from the grave. So Paul ended last week saying, yes, it's a fact, Jesus rose from the, rose from the dead, and uh, we shouldn't even stop arguing about it anymore. We should stop arguing about it. There's no point to go on. But he's going to go on and continue to clarify the resurrection this morning. And the reason is, is he's kind of trying to cut off some questions off at the past. He's trying to, to get ahead of some people that are making some arguments. And the truth is, is that the resurrection of the dead can be difficult to, to get your head wrapped around, right? Because that's not something that we see on a regular basis. As far as we know from observation is that when something dies, it's dead. Amen? So let's go ahead and see what Paul has to say. And First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35 through 37, he says, But someone will ask. Remember I said he's going to cut off some of these questions at the pass? He says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Matter of fact, when we talked about sharing the gospel, this is some, a technique you guys can, can use. Because there's always going to be those same questions that people ask, right? You can just cut them off of the past. But you might say and begin to explain. But that's a different thing. With that, he says, with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but, the bare, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. So like I said, Paul argued the resurrection of the dead is a fact. It happened. No point arguing about that anymore. But he said, but I understand there's probably going to be some people that are going to have some questions. So he's going to head them off at the past. He wants to share with them. And he says that, uh, when I think about this, it's not unreasonable really, right? The people might have questions like, all right, Paul, if this is what you say, what about this and what about that? You know, we get it today all the time, even sharing the gospel. Well, if, if Jesus is the only way to salvation, what about the people that never heard about him? Right? Those kind of questions. 
And uh, spoiler alert, quick answer is this, the scripture says that, that the, the, the mountains and the trees and everything testify to God and that we are without excuse. All they have to do is reach out to God. They may not know the name Jesus, but they do know they have to reach out to something else because they, they, we know internally that, that we can't do it on our own. But I recognize this, this, is, this is kind of a reasonable question. Like, all right, Paul, you're saying something pretty fantastic is happening. Well, what about this and this? And these are the questions that, that he says they, they might ask. One, how are they raised? That makes sense, right? Because we look at the world as we observe it. That doesn't make any sense. We don't see that happen uh, all that often, if ever. And he says, with what kind of body do they come? And I like Paul's answer. He's like, you foolish people. Like, why are you even asking these questions? Which is funny because they didn't even ask it. He's asking for them, right? So he's like, you foolish people. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. It's like, you guys are crazy. We see this all the time. We just, a second ago, we said, wait a minute, we don't see something die and come back to life. But Paul says, no, you actually see it all the time. And he begins to use the example of, of sowing grain or sowing seeds. And he's like, this is foolish, guys. You see it all the time. Why would this even be an issue? Because when you plant it, has anybody ever planted a seed and had something grow? I've done, it's always amazes me. And I always remember, and I don't know if I was in grade school or high school, but I planted corn in this little uh, tiny plastic aquarium thing. And man, it just wasn't growing fast enough, so I, I had to see what was going on. I dug it up and ended up killing the plant. But it always amazed me that you put this, because I, you know what, I would, I would plant corn. Like most people are like, oh, we plant a seed, we go to the, the, guard, the garden section or whatever, or we go somewhere where they have, you know, live good seed. I was planting popcorn kernels. Like my mom would buy the bag of popcorn. And those, like, those things are dead. There's no life in those. They're dried out there. But you get some water and they get some, ner- and all of a sudden they begin to grow. And never once, did it just grow bigger? It was always something else. It was a plant. It was different. And you plant this tiny kernel of corn and it grows into these massive plants. And it's completely different than what you put in the ground, yet still the same. It's a completely different body than what you put in the ground, but it's still the same, right? Paul says you see this all the time. Why are you confused? What you sow, the seeds that you put in the ground... It's not what comes out. Has anybody ever seen a a tulip bulb? Those are the ugliest things I have ever seen. They're just nasty, gnarly looking. But when you plant them, out of them grows this beautiful plant with an even more beautiful flower. What you put in is not the same as what comes out. And what is planted actually dies. And what springs forth is something brand new. It's still the same, but it's fundamentally different. And Paul's like, that's how the resurrection works. You are going to be sown in the ground. It's funny how we, we, bury, our, we bury the dead too, because it's like the same thing. They're actually getting sown into the ground. They're dying. But, and what they go in is going to come out of something fundamentally different, but still the same. It's still your body, even though it's not exactly like it was when you were put in the ground. No matter how we're put in the ground, we will have a brand new resurrected body. Well, well, Pastor Warren, what about people that are cremated? Trust me, God can take care of that. It's not a big deal. 
What about people that are, that are you know, in terrible accidents and they're maimed? Or what about people that, that you know, like soldiers that, 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 that die, but they've had amputated legs? God's going to take care of that. It's not a big deal for God. They're going to have brand new bodies. It'll still be their body, but it'll be brand new. That's good news for you, Jose. You're going to have a brand new body. <laughs> but it's, it's the same, but brand new. Amen? And we may not always understand the nature of what happens in these kinds of things. Particularly back in those days, you know, science, modern science now has given us much greater insight into how, you know, seeds get germinated and they plant and they grow and how it all works out. We have much greater insight. Particularly back then, he's like, guys, you don't know how that works. You know that you put a seed in the ground and it grows. You don't know all the details. Yet, because of your observation, you know that it happens. So nobody questions it. Why are you questioning this? Just because you don't know all the details, how God's going to work something out, is not a reason for us to question every single thing. And Paul's time, I mean, can you think about that? The seed, a plant going out of, out of a seed has seemed magical, I would imagine. You know, but the, the truth is, is that it happened every day and the same thing we should not he's like don't be foolish you see it every day how is this so difficult for you to believe in and then in verse 38 through 41 he says but god gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body for not all flesh is the same but there is one kind for humans another for animals another for birds another for fish and there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another There is one glory of the sun, one glory of the moon, one glory of the stars, for stars differ from star and glory. Well, Paul, the point Paul's trying to make here is the way God builds out bodies, the way that that God decides to build and structure a body or something, it's kind of up to him. He's been doing it for a long time. Actually, he was the first one to ever do it. So I would say he's the expert. He's, he's done it tons of times. And when he created everything, everything had a different type of body. Every seed is different and produces a different plant with a different, with a different body. And just like every animal is different. He says that, that there's one kind of humans, animals, birds, another for fish. And we all recognize this and we deal with it day to day. We don't even think about it, right? Because when you go to the grocery store, you don't just have a pile of meat in the middle. There's the beef section. There's the pork section. There's the, the fish section. And everything, we understand that everything has a different body, that everything is different. And it's not only living bodies either. We see that, that the, the, the heavens and the earth are different as well, right? The sun is different than all the other stars. We know that the earth has a different makeup than the moon. And now with, with uh, modern technology and modern science, we know that... Uh, we can see how, how different everything really is. The, the variety God has done in creation when he's made different things is absolutely astonishing. And we look at, I mean, there's so many different types of stars and different sizes. And so, I mean, and basically what, what Paul is saying is, if God is able to create and govern the existence of all these different body types from all the living things on earth from the smallest to the largest to all the celestial bodies, if he is able to govern and structure the existence of these bodies, don't you think he can figure out and handle the, 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 the governance and structure of the resurrected body of a human? You know, so many times I think that uh, we think we have it all figured out. 
And, uh, you know, if, if it doesn't fit within our little box, if it doesn't fit in with our way of thinking, we're like, nope, it's got to be, it's got to be a mess. It's got to be something, it's got to be fake. It can't work that way. And we all want to tell God how to do things. But the truth is, is that we have to stop predetermining what God is capable of doing. And not even in just this stuff, but in everything. You know, so many people uh, have a hard time believing for, for supernatural healing in their body because they've already made it up in their mind that that's not something God can do. So many people have, have a difficult time of getting free from addiction and getting free from that stuff because they can't imagine how they could ever be free. They can't imagine that God could actually work something like that in, in them. There's so many people that can't even come to salvation because they look at their life and they wonder, how can a God ever love me? And they've already made a decision that my father doesn't love me for these things, so how could God love me? Because we try to tell God how he's supposed to work instead of letting him work the way that he wants. Amen? And in verse 42, it says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. With the resurrection of the dead, there's going to be differences as well. Just like of all those different bodies had difference, that was the whole purpose of this last verse was setting up the idea that there's going to be differences in the way God structures bodies. He says, so we have here, we know that there's going to be differences, and it's going to still be your body, but it will be fundamentally different. And it's going to be sown perishable. Now we know that our bodies are perishable because the moment that we are born, we begin to die. I'd say the only thing that's guaranteed is death and taxes. You can avoid taxes. You can't avoid death. It's coming. It, it, it's appointed to everyone. And our bodies are perishable. They, they're not designed to last for eternity. But the good news is it's going to be raised fundamentally different. It is still our body, but fundamentally different. And the difference is the one that we're going to have raised in is an imperishable, imperishable body. I don't know about you guys, but I think that's good news. I'm getting close to 40. I think I'll be 38. What years? And I just turned 37. And I began to realize that when I go out and exercise, and when I go out into those things, my body is just not keeping up like it used to. I don't have the, the recovery that I used to have. I can tell that my body is starting to not be as, as efficient. And I know it's hard to tell by looking at me. But... <laughs> It's not as efficient as it used to be. But I can't wait for a body that doesn't wear out. Well, I don't got to worry about my, my knees hurting me. I'm about done with heartburn. I mean, I'll be happy when I don't have to do heartburn. And when I don't have to be so focused on what I eat. We're going to have a body that's imperishable. That means it can't die. It can't wear out. It can't get hurt. It doesn't age. That's good news, too. It can't get cancer or diseases. It's, a brand, it's, it's fundamentally different. It doesn't operate in the same way. But it's still our body. He says, it is sown in dishonor. Why is it sown in dishonor? Because our bodies have flaws that were introduced with the fall. Our bodies die. Our bodies aren't created for eternity. 
The truth is, is that we were created in the image of God, and therefore we have the characteristics of God that that entails, that we can love, we have justice, we are able to become righteous, we have those characteristics of God, but our bodies have been made in the image of Adam. And as a result, they die, they wear out, they break down. But when it's raised, it's going to be raised in glory. It'll be a glorified body. It says it's sown in weakness. We already talked about the weaknesses of our body. It breaks, it wears out, it gets acne. It does all the, I mean, our bodies, while they are absolutely amazing on one hand, are absolutely fallible on the other. They're always having issues. But it's going to be raised in power. Now that's good. It's going to be ra- That means it's not going to have any more weaknesses. Raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. Now, this is not to say it's an ethereal body. It's not a, you know, we're, we're not, it's not a ghost that's being raised. It's not something you can stick. It's still a physical body. But what he's saying here that it's spiritual means that it's aligned with, with the spiritual world. It's aligned with eternity. It's aligned with being able to live with Jesus in heaven. It's a body that is designed to be at one with God and to live with him. It is at this point an eternal body. It's not going to wear out. It's a body that suits a new spiritual life for an eternity with Jesus. A great example of this, I think, would be Jesus' resurrected body, right? When Jesus, showed, when Jesus showed back up, people could see him. It wasn't like a, a, a ghostly, waifly form going around. He, he had, as a matter of fact, he went up to Thomas, right, and says, look, feel, feel me. He could be felt. He could be seen. It was a physical body, but it was a resurrected body. It didn't have the weaknesses anymore. It wasn't broken anymore. It was now his spiritual body because it had been remade. For a life in eternity. Jesus' body on earth was just like ours, broken and fallen apart. If it wasn't, they couldn't have killed him. They couldn't have hurt him. But when he was resurrected, he was given a brand new body. I think about that. He still had the scars in his side. And in his palm. But he had the, the wound in his side too. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <laughs> He had the, the, the hole in his side from where the, the sword or the spear stabbed him. He had the, the, the holes in his, in, in his wrist where he was still hung to the cross. And I wonder about that. I'm like, this should have been a brand new resurrected body. And all I can think of is like, this wasn't for his sake. It was for ours. It was, it was probably just for Thomas's sake. Like, hey, just to prove that it's me, look at this. Our natural bodies were designed and are suited for living a life in this world. It's a temporary life. It's got an expiration date. But our spiritual bodies have been, have been designed and are suited for an eternity with Jesus. And then in verse 45, he says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Paul's quote is quoting, and I'm having some word issues today. Paul is quoting Genesis. He says, in Genesis 2-7, it says, And the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The point that Paul is making is, is that Adam became a living person as he was created from the dust in the ground. 
And every person since Adam has been ingrained and shares this same characteristic. Adam was the start of the human race. He was the first one. And we all have the same characteristics that he has as we've been reproduced after his kind. But the last Adam, which is just Jesus, code word for Jesus, anytime you see in your Bible the last Adam, they mean Jesus. It says that, that uh, he was a life, he became a life-giving spirit. Basically, Jesus, so Adam was the first human, but Jesus was the first of those who would be raised from the dead, who would be giving, be given new, giving us, like him, new life. He was the first of the children of God. Did you know that not everybody is a child of God? You see the signs on the, there's a, there's a, there's a big sign on, on uh, I think it's on Broadway, uh, that says, you know, uh, all are children of God. But the truth is, that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that if you get saved, you've been given the right to become a child of God. Jesus was the first of the children of God who we partake in that same inheritance, that same family, if we receive him as our Lord and Savior. Paul goes on in verse 46, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. But there's an order to things, is what Paul's saying. You know, we talked about having a resurrected body, a brand new spiritual body that is prepared and designed to handle eternity with Jesus, but that's not what we get at first. There's an order to things. For every man, in order to live, we have to be born twice. You have to be born twice. John 3, 5 says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You have to be born of water, which is natural childbirth, right? What do we say when a lady's about to get pregnant, her water breaks? So born of water and then born of spirit. That's being born again. That's receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and having that brand new spirit put inside of you. And if you don't have those two things, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, the first one's a gimme, right? We all go through that. But then you have to be born again. And it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with the natural birth. Because we do have to be born, right? Parents got to do, do what they do and make kids. But it doesn't end there. At least we pray it doesn't end there because that's, that's what we, we, we don't want for our children. We want them to be saved. We want them to have eternal life. We want to be able to spend eternity with them. But we must be born again. John 3, 3 through 8, to expand what we just talked about, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless one was born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Good question. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? She doesn't want that. And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Like I said, we have to be born again. There is an order to it. First natural, then spiritual, we're born again. And it's done simply by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the great news is when you do that, the old man, the, the, the firstborn is done and gone and dead and buried. And you get a brand new spirit inside of you, a brand new life. 
And I love how Jesus is like, but being so concerned about this, it's not really a big thing. I love how we always like to make big things of, of things to God that are little things. He's like, no, you don't, you don't go into the womb again. Come on, guys, get, get, your, get your head on straight. It's so much more simple. It's as simple as being saved. And the truth is, is there's plenty of things that we don't know the details about. Even today, the example Jesus used there was the wind blowing. Nobody knew how the wind worked back then. We have a better idea now. Um, but they didn't know back then. They just knew it blew. And, and Jesus, like, you, you, there's lots of things that you don't understand how it works. And even in our, our crazy technological age and, the, and the, the amount of knowledge and, and stuff that we've gathered over the years, we still don't know how everything works. We don't know actually how most things work still. But we have no problem believing in that stuff. Jesus, don't make such a big deal out of it. It's not really that big of a deal. And this doesn't mean when, when Jesus is saying don't worry about it, there's other stuff you don't understand. What he's not saying is, is don't learn. He's not saying don't be wise. God is not against you having an education. God is not even not against you studying science. Just a, a, a news flash, a little tip if you didn't know it. God kind of created all the science systems that we observe. doesn't mean that we're, not to, that we're to be ignorant or never ask questions, but I do think it means we have to be very careful not to predetermine what God can do. We can't tell God this is what you're capable of. And the real danger of that is, is God is always a gentleman. He goes, okay, if you don't think I can do that. And he steps away. Because that's why we have to have faith. You know, when Peter stepped out of the boat, he said, Jesus, if that's you, call me out to you. And Jesus said, Peter, it's me, come on out. And Peter could have never stepped on the water. Or if Peter didn't believe that, 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 that he could have done it, he would have just sank immediately. And we know that because when he got to Jesus, all of a sudden he's like, wait a minute, science is telling me something else. And he began to sink. And Jesus took his hand and says, you little faith, why did you doubt? And this idea of being born again, it's not the only time this phrase is used in the Bible in, chapter, in John there. In First Peter 1 verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is actually the scripture where we get the name of our church from. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, to the living and abiding word of God, we have that idea of the perishable and the unperishable again. We've been born again of an imperishable seed, which means that it's going to last forever. It's not going to decay. The thing is, is that in Christ, you never really die. Your body may die, but you get a new one and you live forever in eternity. But if you're not in Christ, if you're an Adam, if you're in the world, then you're already dead. And there's nothing to get you out of that except for receiving Jesus. And by being born again, that's where Jesus comes in and makes us spiritual because his spirit inside of us is what gives us life. In verse 48, he says, as, man, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. The, the easy way to look at that is, is the man of dust are those who are in Adam. They're going to be just like Adam. They're going to die. They're not going to make it. But if they're like the man of heaven, which was Jesus, 
they'll be just like him and they will rise again and live eternal life. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. All of humankind right now is bound up in Adam. Every single one of us at this point in time, we are bound up in Adam. We are just like him. That means we have bodies that are weak. That means we have bodies that are susceptible to sickness and disease. And I thank God that in Jesus, we have the authority to stand against it and keep this thing patched and hobbling along until it's time to go. But the truth is, is that death is the, is the last enemy for Jesus to defeat. There's nobody that will defeat death on this earth. We all will die unless we're here when Jesus comes back. But after the resurrection, as Christians, we will have bodies just like Jesus. And it's not going to suffer any weaknesses like our current body has now. It's going to be strong. It's going to be glorious. And it's going to be perfect. And just as certain as we are of someone who is born on this earth, as Christians, we can, we can be just as certain that we are going to have this new spiritual body. Just as certain. I, that's what I love about Christianity, too, is we don't have to wonder if we're saved. We can know that we're saved. We can know that, that we have been made brand new because God said it so. All we have to do is have faith in Him. So many other religions have their, their different systems for becoming right with God, and all of them are about doing the right thing, and you just never really know till you get there. But I thank God that it's not based on what we're doing, but based on what He already did. And as a result, we can know that we're saved because it's not about what we do. And we can know that we will have a heavenly body. And in verse 50, he says, and I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. This transition from imperishable to perishable is a requirement because our perishable bodies will never last for eternity. If you didn't get a new body, you'd be in a, in a, in a big old mess when you got up there because it would start falling away. It would start getting, I mean, it would look like the walking dead up there. Body parts just falling off. You look over and Joe's missing his ear. Just fell off. Our bodies aren't designed for eternity. We need a brand new body. I just recently was able to get out to one of our, our mine sites recently. And, and I went, they call it the South Mill. And basically what it is is they, they uh, if I understand it correctly, they, they do blasting to get big, large chunks of, of rocks that they put into these, this mill procedure. And basically it's a, it's a big, giant metal drum that's, twice as tall as I am, and, you know, it's a big cylinder, and they fill it with um, steel balls, like almost the size of shot puts. They're like this big. And what they do is that's filled with steel balls, and then they run the rock through there, and as the thing tumbles around, those balls break up the rock into finer rocks so they can extract the copper from it. You know, it's, it's funny that the mining process nowadays is not anything like you imagine in the old days. Like, you know, they're out there mining for gold and they find a gold vein and they start chipping stuff off. It looks like just regular rock. They're, they're pulling out like, you know, one-tenth of a percent of the rock is copper and that's what they're extracting to, to make this stuff. And I just made up that one-tenth. I know it's small. I don't know what it actually is. And they say 90% of all stats are uh, made up on the spot, so... But it's a very small amount. It's not visible to the human eye, but they're extracting it out. But they put it in this big, this big giant uh, uh, tumbler with steel balls. But you know what they don't put in there to break up the rock? BBs. If they were to put in just little tiny, nothing would happen. The, it has to be designed to do what it's, to, what it's there for, right? 
Might as well put peanut butter balls in there. If you're going to put, put BBs in there, it's not going to be enough to crush up this rock. And that's kind of like what our bodies have to be made like. They have to be in a situation where they're designed to, to live for eternity with God. They have to be without flaw. They have to be without, glorious. They have to be perfect because if you're not perfect, you can't be in the presence of God. And thank God it's not about us being perfect. It's about Jesus making us perfect in him. And that's exactly how it is with the kingdom of heaven. In short, the, the short answer is we need resurrected bodies or, or we're going to be in a mess someday. And verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. This is one of those questions he's heading off in the past. They're going, and I, I can just hear it now too, kind of like the, what, what about the people that don't hear about Jesus? It's the same thing. What about the people that, that don't die before Jesus comes back? They think they got Paul tripped up, and he's like, let me tell you a little secret. You're trying to tell God how he can work, but the trumpet's going to sound, and in a twinkling of an eye, we're all going to have resurrected bodies. First, the dead will be resurrected, and the next, all of us that are here will be given our brand new bodies instantly in a, in a twinkling of an eye. I don't know if that's an official measurement, but it's fast. A twinkling of an eye. We're going to have brand new bodies. Because the reality is, like Paul just said, we have to have them, or we can't spend eternity. Our bodies will never last. And in verse 54, he says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Like I said earlier, the ultimate enemy of our bodies, of every human body, is death. And those who have no hope in Christ, death is the end of everything. There is no going on. It's eternal, uh, eternal separation from God. You know, many people hear about the lake of fire and they think that's an awful thing. They think that's, you know, that's going to be the worst of it. That's going to be easy compared to being separated from God completely. I've always said if you want a, a tiny glimpse of what, what hell might be like, go lock yourself in a completely soundproof and dark closet and just sit there for half an hour and see what your mind does to you. Without any and the truth is, God is even still there. There's just nothing else. But for Christians, it's different. If you're not saved, you have no hope. But if you are saved, it's different. For believers, death is not the end. It's really just a stepping stone. It's just something we got to go through before we, we get with, with Jesus. It's, it's, it's just a step towards eternity. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it's true that most Christians will experience death. And the ones that don't, if, if they're here when Jesus comes back, the ones that don't, they're still, even if they don't experience death themselves, assuredly they're going to have known people that have experienced death. And at the same time, they'll all be getting new bodies. Because when Jesus comes back, that's when the final victory over death comes. You get your brand new body that can never die. And you're already a spirit. You're going to live forever in this brand new body. Death was defeated at the resurrection of Christ 
But total victory over death will not be accomplished until human beings, us, you know, made from the dust of the earth, are given brand new bodies that defy death. And when this happens, the scriptures are going to come true. What he's quoting here, death is swallowed up in victory is from Isaiah 25, 8, if you want to read about it. And then the other one, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your string? Is from Hosea 13, 14. And this is because God promises that one day death will be defeated. Death has no victory. Death has no sting. Because in Jesus, we are made brand new. And then we're going to end here in verse 56 through 58. It says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The sting of death is sin. And what, uh, what, what the deal is, is like we've learned, right? The, the wages of sin is death. That's where that comes from. And then he says, and the power of sin is the law. What does he mean by that? That means that the, the law kind of was our measure. So it pointed out how bad things really were. And actually, the reason why the, the, the law even gives sin power is because not only does it point out how bad things are, but it actually begins to point out our sin. Instead of having our eyes on Jesus, if you're stuck in the law, your eyes are on sin, your eyes are on your failure, your eyes are on where you don't measure up. Instead of being on the one who makes you measure up, the one who has forgiven you of your sin, the one who makes you righteous. And that's why the, the law gives sin power because it keeps our eyes on sin instead of on Jesus. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know that, that this stuff here is, is pre-Jesus, but thanks be to God that no longer has that power because of Jesus, because we have victory through Jesus. And he goes on to say, he gives a challenge to the church. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. To be steadfast means don't give up. There's going to be many times in your Christian walk that you're going to want to give up. You're going to think it would just be so much easier to do what everyone else is doing. You're going to be at work, and you're going to have an opportunity to do something that, that, is, that, that doesn't have integrity, that's going to slide under the radar, and, and it'll just be easier. Paul says, don't, don't give up. Be steadfast in the Lord. And then he says, be immovable. What that means is you don't back down. You don't give up, and then you don't back down. Many people are going to try to convince you of something else. We see it really big right now when, 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 when people are, are telling us as Christians that we are hateful and that we're evil if we don't agree that we should allow same-sex marriage. Or if we don't agree that a woman has the right over her own body and she should be able to kill her unborn child. If we don't agree with that, then we're hateful, we're hate-mongers, and, or we're racist, or whatever it is. There's always something. We have to be immovable. And that doesn't mean that, that we hate the people that are doing these things. God loves them just as he loves everyone else in this room. But we don't compromise on the word of God. We can love people and still hate what they're doing. Amen? Be immovable. Don't give up. And then he says, always abound in the work of the Lord. He challenges them, church, serve with all that you have, the one who has given you everything. Always abound. abound. Abounding is not like a every now and then thing. Abounding is a always in thing. It's a lot of. It's always abound in the work of the Lord. 
And it's not the works that save you, but once you realize that you're saved, when you realize, Dr. Leon said it on Friday, he said, once you discover the love that he has for you, then what is important to him becomes important to you. Abound in that love. Abound in him and, and, and the work for him, not because you're trying to earn his, 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 his uh, uh, acceptance, but because he's already accepted. He loves you so much. How could we not do anything else? And then he goes on to say, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We do this because, because of Jesus, because we know him, because we know that when we, we serve him and we work for him, and we're, you know, when you go out there and you're sharing the gospel with somebody, even if it's difficult, even if it's hard, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable, know that it's not in vain because that person that just might say yes or you plant the seed with is going to, to one day inherit eternal life. Your labor won't be in vain because he is faithful. Amen? So church, I would just like Paul challenge you, be steadfast, be immovable, and always abound in the work of the Lord. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.